0: Our scripture reading today comes from Acts 3, verses 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour, and a man lame from birth was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate, to ask alms of those entering the temple. Seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, Look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. And God, and all the people recognized him and saw him walking and praising God. And they saw him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. that is through jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all this is the word of god you may be seated
1: we have no explanation for what happened that were those are the words of four doctors looking at chart after chart after chart so My name is Gabe Coyle. If I haven't met you, I am one of the pastors here. And as a pastor, I have um, the wonderful privilege of being invited into hospital rooms time and again when people are going through pain or a surgery or what have you. And there's one person in particular, Phyllis Birmingham, her daughter Camille. I've had the opportunity of visiting her plenty of times in the hospital over the past couple of years because she's had various physical complications. But it was just over a week ago when actually... Camille or Phyllis called me and said, "Hey, Camille is a, on the verge of congestive heart failure. She's about to pass away, and I don't I don't know what to do. Everything seems like it's going awry. Her heart's enlarged. And so Phyllis, in all of the complications that's been in Camille's life, she's been beside Camille in the hospital room time and time." And time again, and this time was no different, and she began to call on the name of Jesus, praying in the name of Jesus, and many of us from afar were praying in the name of Jesus, and then something happened. Like I said, it was a little over a week ago. The doctors had no explanation for it, but when they scanned Camille's heart again, it was perfectly normal absolutely normal. They had no explanation because they were comparing the chart that they knew they took of Camille's heart and they were comparing it with the most recent chart. Her heart was enlarged, seriously in the verge of congestive heart failure and now it's perfect. And there was no, I mean they were speechless and when you ask Phyllis what happened, when she's talking with the doctors, when she's talking to family, when she was talking with me, she had this smile from ear to ear and all she could say is, it was Jesus gave And it's those kinds of moments you just sit there and you go, man, Jesus is working in the world. He can really do amazing things. This this isn't just an idea, but this is a person who's actually pursuing his world. And yet simultaneously, when I hear of these amazing stories, when I experience these amazing things, I also go back to a pretty heavy time in my life and Allie's in my life. And when Allie and I were pregnant for the first time, She was about 20 weeks along, and we found out, you know, we were having a boy named Judah. And, uh, you know, we were so excited. And then right around that time, everything started falling apart. We started going in the hospital. We were in and out of the hospital for about three weeks. And even during one point during those three weeks, you know, the doctors told me, we don't know if actually if your baby or your wife are going to make it. Um, It was a really... Heavy time. And then at 23 weeks, we watched as our son Judah was born and did not make it through preterm birth and preterm labor. And I remember so many people telling me they're praying in the name of Jesus, people telling me that Jesus can and will deliver. I mean, with such confidence that Jesus will deliver your son, will deliver you and your family. And that kind of moment, it changes a person. And I remember going to the hospital chapel that they have there in St. Luke's here on the plaza. After that moment, it was early in the morning, like 3 in the morning. And there on the stained glass, they had all these different scripture passages with different scenes of Jesus' life. And I remember focusing in on the one from John 14. With Jesus' famous words, whatever you ask in my name, that will I do. And I remember sitting there going, really? I did. I know plenty of people were, and yet nothing happened. You know, it reminds me of an old song. So, my parents are here today, and I used to hear this growing up in the car. Uh, there's this old song Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Some of you are like, What on earth is that? You know? Others would be like, Oh, I remember. Um, but there's something about that name, right? There's outstanding claims about what, what God has done through the name of Jesus. And then there's also these moments of confusion, pain, and disappointment. And as Christians, right, we, what do we, how do we end our prayers? Most often, more often than not, we end, in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now, oftentimes, it's, Lord, heal Edna in the name of Jesus. You know, like, usually it's pretty quick there at the end. But we, we, we end our prayers in the name of Jesus. We call out and cry out in the name of Jesus for God to do something. And why do we do that? What does that mean? What should we expect when we pray, when we call out, when we, when we, when we talk in the name of Jesus? Because if we can, listen, this is so important, because if we can understand why we pray in Jesus' name and what we should expect when we call in the name of Jesus... Our prayers will be more powerful. Our expectations will be more sound. So our faith will endure seasons of hardship with greater surety. And also we'll have opportunities to see God show up in ways that we couldn't have imagined. You see, we'll know better. If you're here this morning and you you would call yourself a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, for you and for me, we have this wonderful opportunity to demonstrate God's unlimited power in the world today. And don't you want that? Don't you want to know that when you end your prayers in the name of Jesus, these are more than just tradition, more than just a habit, more than just words that roll off your tongue, but they mean something, that God's actually doing something in that? I know I do. And the good news is when we come to our text this morning is that God hasn't left us abandoned or in confusion on how to navigate his name, the name of his son, Jesus If you're new, we're walking through the book of Acts, the history of the early church, this beginning movement of those who say Jesus is alive and we're following him and we're going to proclaim and we're going to be witnesses of Jesus to everyone everywhere. And what they understood, those who were closest to Jesus, is what it looked like to name his name. And what you and I, I think, at least I often forget is that to be who we're called to be, to do what we're called to do, to be witnesses of Jesus to everyone everywhere is something you and I cannot do alone in our own strength. They understood this. And our weakness, our liminality, our our limits of our capacity as human beings, our brokenness isn't a failure on God's mission plan, but it's instead through our weakness God's beauty is displayed. His strength is on showcase. And that's why this little series as we're continuing to walk through Acts has been called The Beauty of Weakness as we journey our way to Easter, walking through the book of Acts. As Christians, we admit that we are weak people. And that's a great opportunity to now demonstrate God's unlimited power in the world. And his name is crucial to that. Let's see how that is true, anchored in God's Word. If you have your Bibles, would you please turn with me to Acts chapter 3. If you're using one of our community Bibles there off the back, it's on page number 911, 911. Let me set the scene. So we read here in the text that was beautifully read for us that it's the ninth hour. That means it's 3 p.m. in the afternoon around the temple. And the temple was a place where you know, it was the mixture of the marketplace. It was where life happened. It was also where you went to go make sacrifice. So people are going doing their afternoon prayers. They're maybe going to a meeting. They're going to make sacrifice at temple. In many ways, this is a normal afternoon there in Jerusalem. But then our text zeroes in on one guy in particular. Everybody else seems to have places to go, things to do, but not this guy. He's seated right here in the temple in a place that he always sits, right there at the beautiful gate. It's an area that has been his place for years to come. It's a really, really good spot because he's a a lame gentleman. He has no use of his legs. And so day after day after day, he sits there begging for alms, this mercy of financial resources from those who pass by. And we learn from the text actually that this guy was born this way. He was born without any use of his legs. I want you to imagine this, okay? Imagine this guy. The text tells us a little bit later he was over 40 years of age. Imagine every day the only thing he's ever known is being utterly dependent on other people. This is the first century world where they did not make ramps or have wheelchairs. You were utterly dependent on, hey, could you help get me here? Would you mind reaching that for me? When other parents are watching their kids take their first steps, his parents are carrying him everywhere he goes. When he's sitting in the back alley as an adolescent boy watching boys run up and down the alleyways, he's sitting there on the sidelines knowing that the only way he's going to survive in this world is on the generosity of passerbys, begging for alms, parking parking himself right next to the temple. And so he's kind of in the routine of everyone, asking everyone for some sort of generosity. And now Peter and John, these two apostles, right? He doesn't know them from anyone else, but they come walking by and he asks them for something, anything, if they would just help him out. And Peter and John, they do what people really do. They look at him. Now... Okay, let's be honest. Okay, when you're driving and you see a gentleman with a cardboard sign, what's like your normal movement? If you look at that person at all, it's a quick glance, a head nod, and then stare straight ahead. Like it's awkward. It feels uncomfortable. Most people just walk right past this guy, but not Peter. He gives him a very dignifying look. He humanizes this man that so many people dehumanize, and he says, look at me. Look at me. And so this guy at this point is probably thinking he's going to get something from Peter and John. He probably thinks, okay, now's a little bit of payday. Now I'm going to get an opportunity. And then Peter says, what? We don't have any money, but we'll give you what we have. Which at that point, this guy's got to be thinking in that split second, oh, no, it's a crazy person. Like, I can't run away from this conversation. This guy's been looking for someone to talk to, and here I am, like this audience that's immovable. So you're just sitting there like, what is he going to say? How long is this guy going to chat? And this is what Peter says. This is so important. Look here in your text. He says, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. Now, notice Peter doesn't just say, rise up and walk because he wants this guy and everybody who's listening on to understand whose authority, whose power, who's behind what's about to happen, who's being showcased in this moment. And Peter does what most people wouldn't even think of. Once again, this is so outlandish in the first century. Most people would not touch someone who's lame or sick. They even had rules for this in the first century, but Peter reaches out and he grabs his hand. Think about that, this calloused, worn Hand. One of the only two supports that have held this man up for over 40 years. Peter grabs him by the hand and pulls him up. And what does the text say? And immediately, not that day, later that day, not later that week after some physical therapy, right? Immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. This guy's not healed, not just healed, but strengthened. And he's not just wobbling, walking, and leaning. But read on in the text, it says, and leaping up. He stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. You know all the muscles that are involved in jumping? Well, I, when I was preparing for some races last year, I, I did a lot of study on the anatomy of the foot such that I annoy people when I talk about the foot and what, how even been designed to run, you know, like, so when I'm reading this, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, all of the different tendons and the joints, I mean, that have been dormant for decades. They've never been used for what they were designed and intended for. And now they're, they're working brilliantly, perfectly, exceptionally. And I know for, for us as 21st century modern people, this feels sensational. It can feel almost unbelievable, right? Fairy tale-ish. But remember who it is that's recording this eyewitness account. It's a gentleman by the name of Luke, and he was a doctor. And we kind of get some of the hints of this while he's recording this, because if you look in the original Greek, there are some words that only show up here in this passage. It's like Dr. Luke starts geeking out over what's happening with this gentleman. He's made perfectly whole. Do you get that? Do you understand what's happened to this guy? Like, oh my goodness, as a doctor, this is unbelievable. And people in the first century, they aren't naive. People in the first century aren't like, just going to naturally believe this? The only way they believe this is because they've been walking by this guy for almost 40 years. And they see him standing next to and jumping next to Peter and John. And so it's no surprise a crowd starts to gather around Peter, John, and this guy who's standing there next to Peter and John. And they start asking how. And look at Peter's response to everyone. He says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though... By our own power or piety, we've made him walk. So, all right, everybody, why are you staring at us? And I love that Peter gives both of these things, power and piety. Piety meaning we're not religious enough. We're not the kind of folks who can manipulate the gods because we've done all the right things. If this power isn't in us, the reason this is happening, don't go looking at Peter, myself, and and John. It's, It's not because of us. Do you want to know who did this? And then he begins to detail out who made this guy jump, who's never been able to stand on his own two feet. Verses 11, or actually verses 13 through verse 16, Peter goes on to say that it's actually the God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and for every Jewish person or every Gentile who's there around the temple who's a God-fearer, that would have clicked in their mind that moment at the burning bush where God actually presents himself as the God of Abraham, of Isaac, of Jacob, of the forefathers, when he called Moses to redeem his people out of slavery. And Peter's saying, someone better has come. And his name is Jesus. Oh, do you remember him? First century, this is where it gets really a bit visceral in Peter's language. He's like, you killed him. <laughs> do you remember him? And you were so hell-bent on killing Jesus that you, you worked really hard to release a genuine murderer in order to put this Jesus to death. But God didn't let him stay dead. This was the author of life, the one who's making this man stand on two feet, who's been lame his whole life. God raised him from the dead, and we are witnesses to him. We have seen him. We have touched him. He's alive now. And then look at verse 16. It's here where we begin to unlock the mystery of the name of Jesus. We read, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. And his name has made this man strong. Now, the idea that names carry authority or power is really foreign to a 21st century culture. In a first century mindset, this would have made total Sense. I mean, the closest thing we kind of have is like if you send an email to a coworker and you copy your boss on it, that, that little CC comes with a lot of power. It's like, hey, I was checking in to see how that project's going. You know, ergo, if you don't work, the boss knows and their authority is going to come to bear on you. Or if I walk into the party planning store and I mention Tyler Cherneski, <laughs> I'm going to get some of the best glitter in town. Like, I know, like there are certain names. We still get some of that. You know, some of this this hint of this. But names, it carried such great weight such that if you said the name of Jesus, you were actually exercising His authority, His power, and it spoke to the world that He's still alive, that His authority still carries forth in the world that we experience. When you mention Jesus' name, things happen. Now look back at verse 16. Let's detail this out a little bit more. His name... If you look here in the text, let's piece this out. His name has made this man strong. Jesus' name is actually the causal force and has power. The healing of the man was because of faith in that name. And the source of that faith, the one who gave this faith, was Jesus. And it didn't have its source in Peter. It didn't have its source in John. It didn't have its source in Peter or John's piety or their power. It wasn't that they were good enough. It wasn't that they were faithful enough. No, Jesus' name did this. It was faith in his name that was the catalyst, and Jesus was the source of that faith, seated at the right hand of God, the Father, in heaven. And then when you start going through verses 17 through 26 of chapter 3, Peter takes this amazing moment to call everyone who's witnessing what Jesus' name did for this guy, and he calls all of them to say, if, if Jesus' name can do this, place your faith in this name to forgive you of your sins and to bring refreshment. Yes, now, one day Jesus will make the world as it should be. He will make the world whole. He begins to actually detail this out in the sermon, starts dropping a bunch of names. You know, for Jewish listeners, this would have been big. Moses, he mentions uh, Samuel and Abraham, and he's like, All of these folks, all of history has been pointing to Jesus. His name comes with power because he is still alive and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So put your faith, your trust in him and his name. And then when you look to the beginning of chapter 4, You see the number grows. So back in chapter 2, verse 41, we see that there was about 3,000 people who placed their trust in Jesus. But after this moment, after Jesus' name was named, this man was healed. And now Peter calls them to put their trust in the name of Jesus for salvation. The number grows in chapter 4 to be some 5,000 men, which is roughly men, women, and children over 10,000 people. This is a huge moment of greater revival and conversion. Jesus and his fame over who he still is, not who he was, but who he still is, grows across the land. And this is where we begin to get a glimpse as followers of Jesus today as to why Jesus has endowed his authority in his name and why Jesus has entrusted the church with his name. Here's why. Jesus invites us to call upon his name in order to make his name known. Jesus invites us to call upon his name that's endowed with power as we see in verse 16 for what purpose? To make his name known that more people might trust in him. This is the purpose behind it. Because God And his son, Jesus, is not done. He's not disconnected from the world. Instead, what we see is when the apostles tell this man to stand in the name of Jesus and emphasize that it was Jesus who did this, it points to Jesus' resurrected power, that he's alive. It bolsters the witness and who Jesus is. And Jesus invites us to do the same today. But there's still a lot more explaining to do, right? Because there's a lot of ways this can get manipulated and twisted and turned. And so I want to look at three ways Okay, just helpful categories on what calling on Jesus' name isn't, all right? So if we can see what it is, why Jesus has entrusted us with this, but let's look at what calling on Jesus' name isn't. And here's the first one. Calling on Jesus' name isn't a spotlight on me and my faith or my prestige. Like if you call on Jesus' name with the motivation to draw attention to yourself— Hoping that Jesus will do something really big so that other people can start talking about your faith and who you are and what it means to follow Jesus, look at so and so, then you've missed it and you will be disappointed. We look later in the book of Acts, and the apostles are doing these amazing things, and this guy named Simon Magus, we'll get to him Magus, imagine having that last name, poor fella. You know, <clears throat> he comes and he sees what God's doing through the apostles, and he was actually a really powerful magician before he came to Jesus. And then he sees all this power that's coming through the apostles and the text says he wants that power so he can build up his fame again. And the apostles call him out and he actually is left as this selfish fraud in the dust and he's saying, please may this not be my destiny. I know I actually asked for selfish reasons. And he's left in the, d- I mean, it's, it's a very heartbreaking situation. We'll get there as we walk through Acts. But this, if you are asking and, and, and actually proclaiming in Jesus' name so you can draw attention to yourself or build up your own acclaim, then you're going to be disappointed because that's not the way it works. Secondly, calling on Jesus' name isn't a magic word to get you what you want when you want. This isn't a new abracadabra for the church world, okay? And it won't determine that what you've got planned will ultimately change what God's got planned. Later in Acts, we read about these sons of Sceva, they're called, They're these Jewish men who have not embraced Jesus as the Christ, but they hear about what the Apostle Paul's doing when he actually proclaims the name of Jesus and demons start getting exorcised out of people. So they go around and they start saying, we proclaim in the name of Jesus that the Apostle Paul's been talking about for you to come out of this guy. The demon-possessed man says, I know about Paul. I know about Jesus, but who are you? And this demon-possessed man just like totally goes to town on the sons of Sceva and they go running, you know, off the scene. They get totally beat up. It's a really interesting story. We'll get there too. But you can't just come at this with a magic word. That's not the way it works. Just so that you can get what you want when you want it. Because listen, we have to also mention that there are plenty of times where God makes Jesus' name known through things that we don't want. And we may not want it for various reasons. We may not have all the facts Right in our limited perspective to know what truly is the best way forward. Or we may not even have the capacity to want what is best because what is best involves so much pain. As followers of Jesus, we are promised suffering when we bear the name of Jesus. I mean, even Peter here who calls on the name of Jesus such that this man is standing on two feet who's never walked a day in his life is crucified according to tradition upside down for the name of of Jesus. We're called to hardship sometimes and pain and brokenness sometimes in our lives because in actually that brokenness, we can have a greater testimony for the name of Jesus than if that had not come into our lives. Such that as Peter is writing in 1 Peter, same Peter, writes to the church that when things are happening in your life, people who don't yet believe in Jesus say, where do you get that hope from? Once again, the main reason we are entrusted with Jesus' name is to make much of Jesus' name. And there are plenty of times when hardship comes. Not everything is made new today. There's a day coming when he will wipe every tear from our eyes, when he will make all wrongs right, and this world will be as he has created it to be. And I know for Allie and I, you know, after, after we lost Judah, there was... So many questions. And we prayed plenty of times, like, God, just help us. Help us to see how you're using this. May it not be for naught. You know, like, may it not be just a waste. But we know you're doing this for a purpose or allowed this for a purpose is the better language. Will you help us? And I remember in our sixplex, we were the only Christians in our sixplex. And often, sometimes, we'd have everybody up for dinner, and we'd get mocked for Christians. You know, it was playful. Whatever. Um, <laughs> And, uh, and so we had a Wiccan friend who would stand up for us. Hey, don't pick on those Christians. It was fun. Um, <laughs> but in those moments, people would say, like, why aren't you, like, you know, Jesus didn't really come through. And we say, we don't know the answers to this. We still know he's good. We still know he's great. We don't, we don't know the answer to this. But we know God's still got something better in store and that he's still caring for Judah, even though we don't get to have him right now. That He's still caring for us. And it was in those moments we got to have amazing conversations with people about Jesus. We've had opportunities to come alongside of other couples who've gone through this atrocious reality and be in a comfort and be an encouragement to continue to keep their eyes set on Jesus. So listen, it, it, we don't hope for pain. We're not chasing after pain. We're not looking for hardship. But when God allows it, rather than bringing deliverance in His name, it's because He's longing to make much of Jesus And that also ultimately should be our goal. And it's because God longs for our good. And somehow in the mystery that is following Jesus, all these things come together. So if you're just looking for a magic word to get what you want, when you want, you're not going to get it. And you're going to be disappointed when you pray in the name of Jesus even. And lastly, so the third area I think that we can fail, and often I think I fail the most, as modern 21st century Christians, we may be tempted to fail the most is that we just don't believe Jesus works like this anymore. You see, we miss it when we think that calling on Jesus' name or calling on Jesus' name isn't merely a good reminder of who Jesus was in the first century. It's not just a placeholder for a memory. It's more than just a word. Here in the text, we see that there's power in his name. And that's because God isn't just an idea He's not just what is often considered the deistic understanding of God, that he wound up the earth, stands back in a distance, and is waiting for us to logically deduce our way to the right way. No, God is engaged in his world, and Jesus is seated at the right hand of God the Father, seeing that his mission would be carried forward. And if we try to make the name of Jesus an opportunity to draw attention to ourselves if we try to make the name of Jesus a magic word just to get us what we want, when we want, if we just look at Jesus' name as merely a good reminder, then we're gonna be disappointed and we're gonna miss out on the unbelievable resources that God has given you and I as we seek to follow him on mission in the world to be witnesses of Jesus to everyone everywhere. You see, the church, we, we, we cannot be who we've been called to be without God's power. And Jesus has invited you and I to call upon his name in order to make his name known. And I I don't want you to forget this because this is so important because Jesus is just as zealous in the 21st century in making Jesus's name known as he was in the first century. Let that sit in for a second. It's not like God's now sitting back on his heels saying, you know what? I think we did some bang up things in the first century. I think we're in the clear. No, he's just as zealous. Like, he's like, this is my son in whom there is no other. There is no other. He is life and life exclusively in his name. And he's just as zealous, amen, in the 21st century (laughs) as he was in the first century to get his son's name out there. I mean, how many times, I know I do this. I'm so tempted that we read scripture and we say, you know, that was really good for then and there. But that just doesn't happen anymore. Show me where that is here. If we're people driven by the word of God, show me where that's here in God's word. I mean, do you believe that Jesus is alive? Not just an idea, not just an interesting concept so we can get together on Sunday morning and have really good coffee. No, but do you believe Jesus is alive? That he's ascended, seated at the right hand of God the Father, that he made a promise to you and to me, that lo, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And he sent his spirit to actually indwell us as believers. And he's continuing to work in and through us that we must yield to him so that we can carry out this amazing news that Jesus exclusively is the life that we all long for. Do you believe that? I far often believe, and I feel like I'm praying the centurion's prayer, right? You know, I believe. Yeah, help me in my own belief. I, I think I believe Help me in my own belief, And so I want to get specific here because I think sometimes we can hide behind generalities. Um, and, and I want to ask a question I've been wrestling through personally as I've just been digging in this text. Where do you need to trust Jesus can do what he's done through his name? My neighborhood. For Charlie, it's his neighborhood. But what about you? Where, where do you need to trust Jesus can do what he's done through his name. Now, you, you notice, so you're all wearing name tags. Uh, that's really good. Part of that was for name am- amnesty, so you can get to know each other seated around. Another reason those name tags are there is we want you to, and we're going to have some more as you're heading out this morning, is that on, on that name tag, I want you later this week to write the name Jesus. To write the name Jesus. And as you're going about your week I want you to think about where Jesus is inviting you to call his name upon or to make, and so, that, and so in order to make his name known. Where in your life do you need to call on Jesus to show up? Not so that you can have more comfort ultimately, not so you can ultimately get what you want when you want, but to make his name known so that when that happens, if God does work through in that particular way when you call upon his name, everybody who's looking on will have no doubt as to whose name tag is on that moment. And they'll say, Jesus had to have been behind that. Jesus had to have been behind that. Are there people in your life? Are there relationships that continue to remain in shambles? Is there an addiction that you're battling through? Is there someone at your work, someone in your neighborhood, someone in your family? Because it's my hope that Jesus' name gets stuck all over that, that his name tag would be all over that when he continues to do his refreshing work, his powerful work that surrounds us. Because remember, God is working in the world through his son. Where do you need to trust Jesus can do what he's done through his name? And why do this? Like, why take this risk in many ways? Like, it feels a bit risky, doesn't it? Why trust and call on the name of Jesus? Why pray in Jesus' name and actually mean it instead of just kind of quickly like, Throwing it away, you know, at the end of the sentence. Not only because Jesus has bestowed power in His name, and I know that feels foreign as a twenty-first century modern Christian, but it's here in the text. Not only because we have an example of when Peter does it, and actually other Christians do it throughout the narrative of Acts, and we actually see this throughout the history of the church such that when you get to the book of, or the, the letter of Corinth or the first Corinthians, when Paul's writing to the church of Corinthians, there are actually people who have gifts of healing who are calling on the name of Jesus. Why do all of this? Because it provides a platform for God to show up in ways that are unmistakable. And we can make much of the name of Jesus. And isn't it an honor that we get to be a part of this? Do you notice that it's not, Je- like Jesus was the one who plenty of times told people to stand and rise, but now Peter gets to play a part. Now John gets to play a part. And now the church, which is not a failure of God's mission tactics, to empower you and I to do truly astounding things in the world in his name. But it's actually a part of the beauty because it makes that much more of Jesus in the world. We've been entrusted with something so amazing. We get to be witnesses of Jesus to everyone everywhere. As Peter later says, you know, it's fascinating when Peter's being interviewed by the Sanhedrin a little bit later in chapter 4, and we're going to touch more on this next week, but he's interviewed, and what is his response when they're saying, Where are you, what name are you proclaiming in, what power? And in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, he says, There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. When we've been entrusted with the name of the author of life, how can we be silent? So may we, this week, may we pray with greater confidence in the name of Jesus. May we go about our week and call out with greater confidence for Jesus to work through his name in places that God has strategically put you for his mission, in areas that only you can go, in relationships where you have clout and trust. Not as a magic word to manipulate God. Not as an opportunity to make much of yourself. Not as just a mere reminder of who Jesus was back then. And sometimes God's plans may be other plans. And sometimes he works through hardship to make much of the name of Jesus. But in all these things, may we trust that Jesus' name can actually do what it's done. And it's my hope and prayer that as we go out just as a humble campus, And we go out that Jesus' name would be stuck on amazing thing after amazing thing after amazing thing across the city, wherever God has you. Not for you and not for me, but that Jesus might be made much of and that those who don't yet know him and the refreshment that comes in his name and the forgiveness that comes exclusively through him might know him and trust in his name as well. Then maybe we might just be able to say like Phyllis, it was Jesus. Jesus, 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 there's just something about that name. Will you trust that his name can do what it's done? Let's pray. God, we come seeing what you've done, and we hope not in a presumptuous way, but in a way seeking to make much of Jesus Longing to lean more in the work of the Spirit and what you have promised and what you have revealed that you will do through your church. God, you are free and you are good. And we anchor our faith in your character and what you've already revealed in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. All that that you might redeem broken sinners, that is the depth of your love for us. And you know, and we know you want more and more people to trust in Jesus whom you've sent out of your great love for us. So God, may you empower us. May you give us wisdom. May we trust that your name can do what it's already done time and again. And may your name go forth. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.